0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 25 of Subspace Communique's Life After Trek. I'm your host, Chris, or Captain Pike. With me, as always, is...
1: Charity, a.k.a. Crewman Becky. Hey, everybody. Today we've got Larry Nimichek with us. He's here to talk about Star Trek, Stellar Cartography, the Starfleet Reference Library. That's his new book. It's on Amazon, and it's available for pre-order, so go there now. I
0: think it comes out December 3rd, uh, and you can, like she said, you can pre-order it now on Amazon and get it when it's released. He's also here to talk about, uh, of course, Trekland blog, where you can find out everything about Larry Nimichek. Uh, but he's going to talk about Con of Wrath, which I know everyone out there is super stoked to to hear more about. And a brand new thing called the Trekland Trunk. Uh, and if you want to know more about that, obviously we'll talk about it more in the episode. Uh, but you can check that out on Facebook. We're not going to spoil anything now. You got to wait for the, the info in the episode.
1: And, of course, a ton of other Larry facts that are um, Star Trek gold.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, lots of inside baseball, which I know you guys are really going to dig. So stay tuned. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Uh, as many of you know and have heard before on Life After Trek, uh, Larry Nimichek's a good friend of the show and has been on several times to talk about his projects, including the Connor Wrath. Uh, and uh, Trekland blog, and everything in the Larry uh, Trek universe, as I like to call it. Uh, but this time, Larry's back to talk about his uh, Star Trek stellar cartography, the Starfleet reference library. I barely didn't get that out. But uh, he barely yeah. did. Oh, I barely did get that out. That's what I meant. But anyway, we'd like to welcome Larry Nimichek back to the show. Thanks for joining us, Larry.
2: Yeah, a few little Borg implants you know, would help that out. <laughs> <laughs> Something would. Maybe some
0: Romulan ale. I don't some know.
2: nanopro. Yeah, or, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh no yeah um all things Trekland yeah this was um this was kind of amazing I mean and not to bore this because maybe people have heard this story but this is like I I have this joke that this is like my actually fourth go round with Star Trek maps although most people only know might know of one of them but if you're if you go back far enough star mapping was the first thing that like when you're a fan when you become a fan of anything especially of Star Trek. And back in the day when there was nothing else to do <laughs> or there were no books – there weren't books and stuff, much less uh, DVDs and games and everything. Um, well, most people seem to have bid on Star Trek because when they had to have more of it and they had to get their own fix, they like wrote stories. And like that's where fan and fan fiction started and fanzines and all that. And a few of us deranged people <laughs> just, just were mad that, that we only had 79 hours and we had to uh, either – a, catalog it and or B, expand that. And, and some people expanded it by having Kirk, Spock, and McCoy do more stuff in stories, you know, or they Mary sued themselves into stories or whatever, however it was they expanded.
0: <laughs> I like the term, Mary sued That's good. Yeah.
2: I, I didn't make it up. Yeah. Wow. Well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Didn't mean to interrupt you. Keep going. Please.
2: No, no, I mean you you do know that's like an old established term.
0: Right? I you know I'd only heard it like once or twice, so yeah.
2: Oh, you digital age people. I know, okay, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There was no, something
0: the, before the internet. The, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Hamsters in cages, my book. Yeah. <laughs> Plastics. Um <laughs> uh, I saw somewhere the other day somebody said, oh, here's the future, plastics. And I went, okay, we've come full circle back to the graduate. (laughs) (laughs) Quick, somebody check Dustin Hoffman, see if he suddenly looks young again. Um, It's like saying, uh, what do you say, it three times and and Beetlejuice pops up? Exactly, yeah. plastics, plastics, plastics. (laughs) Okay, how do we get off on these? Now, see, I've also been telling you the last last two or three times I've been on different people's shows, I said I'm going to do better about, like, not going on for – Forty-seven sentences in a row, you know, and and <laughs> and try to pop it up. But anyway, what I'm trying to say is that the thing that bit me first about Trek was the background A, and then B, especially when I got my copy of Beejoe's Concordance, the Tricorder Wheel Concordance. I didn't have her fan version; I got that later. But the one from Ballantine, and it's like one of the first things that hit me was. My God, look at all these like loose planets and stars just floating around in here. Like we got, we got to get this organized. So, you know, I'm some kind of a, I don't know, sadist or something about that. <laughs> so I sat down and worked out a thing. And all we had at the time was the tech manuals, very, very basic star format. If you go back at you know, Joseph uh Schnabelt's original little basic thing. And I set up between the story points and real astronomy and then made the episodes fit to fit. You know show to show and what what made sense you'd go from here to here to here um, came up with a whole uh, star you know a set of telescoping star charts and then when the medical reference came out, I hooked up with Jeff Mendel I wrote a letter to them, which wound up with Jeff Mendel, who could not believe that some of the things I was saying about stars. A, I was one of thousands of people that said them, but I was the nicest one to say them instead of like, you know, hey, dipshit, the Klingons can't <laughs> be around, Epsilon, said that's way too close. So he wrote me a letter and said, you're the nicest person to talk to me. So I had mentioned this thing I was working on. So it was going to be in his next tech scene that he had called um, – I forget what it was called, but it wound up being a book called Officer's Manual. And about the time we were going to do that and he put it in his graphic style, then we found out he got a call – from uh, Jeff Maynard, the last thing that was before Pocket Books had the total book license, back when Bantam had the fiction and Ballantine had the nonfiction, although this is not – this is nonfiction, so I don't know why it was a Bantam. But Bantam did the 1980 Star Trek maps that were two big posters and a little – not even softbound. It was just a stapled pamphlet book that went with it, and – Everything of my stuff, they had done a new format, which made a lot more sense than Franz Joseph, so a lot of my actual physical work went out the window, but some of the conceptual stuff stayed in, and I was going to get credit and copies. It was going to be very cool, and I was going to be freshly published, and then that became the whole reason for my Star Press because we didn't get money. We didn't even get copies. I didn't even get credit. People got ripped off. It wasn't Jeff's fault. Like Sternbach got ripped off. I'm in good company. Wow, other people, and this was like this is 1980. So you know, Um, and so friends teased me about having a star Nemecik in there, but nothing else. So that's where my star media comes from and my star press. Oh, no kidding. But that was 1980, and so I got back to having a life and going to grad school and going to work. And then when Next Generation came out, it's when I had gotten a Mac and was doing desktop publishing and started working on my concordances every year and doing other stuff and wanted to see where that went, and then that led to The Companion and all that. So – but that was – when I was a kid, that was my first thing. That was my first urge to jump in and organize stuff, that and do stuff and do the technical manuals, missing pages too. And then about two, but that's how Jeff and I knew each other only by long distance writing, because it was back when long distance calling was expensive and we were just college kids. Oh, I remember that. And uh, he was in New York and I was in Oklahoma. You know, it's it's very telling when you're in a place so small that you don't even bother with city names, you know. (laughs) So, I mean, I could say Ada or Norman, but nobody cares. But so fast forward, 1994. During the and I'm working on my second edition of Companion. I'm staying in in L. A. before we move out here, and um, to work on the book. And it's the craziest summer ever. And uh, I'm up in the art department that was had been the new DS9 one with generations art department kind of crammed into it. And I was up you know making rounds and snooping around whatever I could see and do and doing research we call it. And uh, Mike says, "Larry, come over. I want you to. Inter- I want to. I want you to meet somebody." And I go over. and He goes, "Larry Nemechek, Jeff Mandel." I'm like, "Oh my god! This is like you know, 14 <laughs> years later, we're meeting in the flesh in L.A. when we had been, you know, college kids in in New York and Oklahoma, which was a real a real funky thing." So you know, then I knew Jeff personally, and you know, then flash forward to 2003, uh, Jeff gets a contract to do this last book that came out, uh, Star Trek Star Charts, where basically. Um, he got to canonize Mike's uh, Mike Akuda's you know alpha beta gamma delta quadrant system that had only been loosely touched on. You know you start off plugging in the real ast- astronomical stars and then you build out from there and story points and all that. And a lot of fans had been doing this already and that kind of put the ball. It was also in the era of the great nonfiction slowdown too. So like very little was coming out because Pocket maintained. Nonfiction didn't sell for the cost that it took, and they were cranking out the novels. Are great, but the the cool nonfiction stuff like we had growing up, and even into the through the '90s, like no technique. You know, the encyclopedia got done, and then it was too expensive to update. After they crammed the the add-on in the back, and the chronology was the same way, and the tech manuals were too much. And you know, by that time, it was only enterprise, and there was just a big kind of meltdown about having cool nonfiction. And even um, and we had and the shows were cranking out canon. So when I say nonfiction, by then I'm talking about reference. Just trying to keep up with all of it. Yeah. So I worked on that. It was very funny because Jeff and I were like, "Ooh, this is like it's it's 2003, and it's been can you believe it's been 22, 23 years since we <laughs> worked on our thing when we were kids." It was kind of you know young guys. It was kind of weird, but it was a lot of fun. It was like ooh deja vu all over again. And <laughs> and he you know got that out and it was a big hit among the tech heads. But it was the time of Enterprise, and so many people were busy hating Enterprise and not watching anything. That you know, it kind of came and went. They didn't do a huge run of them. Well, as years went by, and we got out of out of the Berman era, and JJ came back, and then people started realizing, you know, missing what they didn't have, and the experience closed, and more and more things became golden. And um, and then we now we're in the era where Pocket doesn't have the nonfiction license exclusively. So these other things have been popping up like the three sixty five books and the vault and and uh and Becker Mayer got involved as a packager with Forty Seven North, which is Amazon's publisher. And David Goodman's incredibly wonderful book came out last year about the first hundred and fifty years of the Federation and and pre Federation with the Cochrane, you know, era and all that, from from eugenics wars and up, up until up until the Tomet incident and things go dark. <laughs> On our canon timeline, but that was a big hit. And it and Becker Mayer does books that have a cool aspect to them. So like the little stand that had Sula's voice. They did some mm. Star Wars things the same way that were like actually fake marble. You know, um, uh, the, the way of the Sith or the way of the Jedi. And then there was a Sith book, and they had a little Wait, like Star marble Wars? holders. I, I
0: don't hmm? know what I don't know what Star Wars is.
2: <laughs> oh, okay.
1: Yeah,
0: I'm sorry. Well, I haven't heard of that. He's going
2: to have to look that up when after you the show. when you're out of the night sky. And you see, like a thing streaking across. That's one star shooting at another one. So, <laughs> okay, perfect, perfect. Yeah, you know, it's probably just the Q continuum having a civil war. But, um, so yeah, so it's so it's like this thing keeps popping up, and and things turn over so fast. We've had such a huge generational shift of fans who have come in fresh. They don't even know about his last book that a lot of us worked on. Did little bits and pieces. I wrote the chapter entries, and dug out all of her old notes and tried to get the planet colors right <laughs> 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 and just kind of be another set of eyes on it and and uh and there's always a thing of trying to fix things as they go along you know sure but um so yeah so this this came along and becker Mayer were looking at new things to do and uh to add on to that and then our friend john van sitter steered them toward me because he knew of, of this and and jeff is Way busy working full time on TV shows right now and couldn't have, couldn't have spared it. But so it was a good thing to me. This was and when they described it and said it's going to be ten maps, it's going to be maps with a with a guidebook that goes with it. I immediately flashed back to the Bantam in 1980 and I mm. thought, oh how cool! And it's almost like an homage. And they all looked at me blankly because they had <laughs> no clue. And they were like, oh that's cool, but it's not like that at all because this one is a it's ten maps, and and very cool. Conceptual things going on, which we can talk about, and then and different and different, you know, not even the same. The all ten aren't even out of the same mold. There's like four that are one thing, and five that are different kinds of another thing, and very cool, and another one. And then the guidebook is like a spread for each map that doesn't just explain what's in it; it's actually about that. So the Dominion War and my pride and joy, we they kind of had a list, and then we kind of massaged it as we went along of of, to- of map topics. But my pride and joy, which not only did Jeff not do in 2002 and 2003, but just under the pressure of the show, Doug and Mike weren't about to do on DS9, much less the writers have any clue. They were just throwing stuff out that sounded good. I actually choreographed the Dominion War.
0: Oh, that's cool.
2: To make sense. That's super cool. And And had to come up with... Things that always made sense to me and I hope put down some f- stupid, false no, – I won't say stupid. We're all <laughs> one big happy fleet. <laughs> um, some um, you know, misguided or people that are really passionate about things. And, I, hey, I, I'm all for hanging on to what you believe in. But I really thought, especially on my good friends at Memory Alpha, really are hung up on like the first map we saw in Next Generation and everything from – from the price of third season TNG onward, they just like threw out everything that Mike and the art staff did as far as the the grid of the four quadrants. Wow. It was really – it's just really puzzling to of, me because yeah. they're so hung up on this because first is one thing, but then when the preponderance of canon evidence goes a different way, you go with that, and then you figure out a way to make the oddball, the, right. you know, the outlier yeah. fit. You don't hang with the outlier despite 40 more examples. So anyway – So I, in a very calm way, like I used to say that the writers shouldn't be doing with their scripts. uh, Very, you know, I found I found a way to. I don't make lemonade out of lemons. I find a way to make you know lemon custard pie or something out of it. I mean, it's like Mm, tasty. You know, when you have when you have you know a cannon collision. Sure. There's there's a way you can fix so much stuff with just like one line or two lines. So so I got to do that. But I mean, the whole the whole book is. um, is that when there's a lot of cool stuff. So I'll I'll have some of my uh, Coke, otherwise called Diet Dr. Pepper. and then...
0: <laughs> Now, we're really looking forward to this. I mean, just looking at the pictures on Amazon, this looks like one of the books that I would dig. Because oh, I always sure. loved when you'd get a reference book. And, you know, I loved my technical manual that I got in, uh, gosh, what was it, 86, 87. So it was the 20th anniversary technical manual.
2: That, is that 1986 or yeah. 1886? 1986. <laughs> okay, yeah. okay.
0: Yeah, it was Steam Trek in 1886. <laughs> so I I I loved that book, but I love books like this that provide much more than just the book. So you get all the maps with it, and it looks like uh, looks like several maps, but it also I, you know it's hard to tell on the small photo on Amazon. Oh, it is. Oh, and it is know, isn't like, it? Could, it's very mysterious. Are those maps
1: like those are folded up, right? So they're way bigger than that. Is that right?
2: Nope, that's the whole size. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yes. Each map. it's pretty map, cool that
1: they're like jumbo.
2: Yeah, each map is two by three. Oh, oh wow. wow. No, Very I'm kidding. Cool. And suitable for framing. Um, in fact, that's, so you can't tell from there, although there is a list. There's a basic list here. Although I keep saying an ancient Vulcan map. And I keep wanting to say it's technically an ancient Vulcan system map. But if you see that one on top with the orange and the mm, beige. That's what uh-huh. I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. That one's okay. pretty That's pretty cool. The, that's the Vulcan map. Oh, neat. Vulcan system that. map. It's, it's, uh, so here's the thing. Half of the set is like modern maps. And when I say modern, a couple of them, there's one from the, there's an information. So let me back up kind of the way David did with his Federation book, Federation 150 years. And if, and if your listeners haven't got that, they need to.
0: Yeah. It's pretty amazing Uh, looking.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and let me, let me stop here a second there. Like I, I kind of said this before, but it's, it's, where we are with track and production and the fact that we don't have a, a weekly TV show happening. One of the upsides of that, and I didn't ever used to think there really was an upside, but you know in the when all this got started with the original blueprints and the tech manual and the medical reference and, and all that, not you know, versus say B. Joe's Concordance B. Joe's original Concordance was collecting you know, aired canon stuff as a baseline, and then and if you want to add to it, then you go from that and the tech manual and and the medical reference and the blueprints all started with a lot of canon stuff, but they basically filled in what I always called gap filling. Mm. It's like we have crumbs here. The thing I used to – one of the reasons why Journey to Babel was one of my favorite episodes is we finally got off the damn ship, and we got to see a peek of what <laughs> lay beyond. Right. I'm sorry. I was, <laughs> I was one of those people who was totally happy not to have Next Generation be about Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. It was like – Shut up, you know, and and let's get on with it. (laughs) No,
0: totally. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's like it's like it shows the strength of Gene's universe that it supports beyond just that little narrow corner. I mean, I'm not knocking Kirk Spock and McCoy and the classic and the foundation and everything that brought everything else. But what I'm saying is next generation it was a genius move to do that because it showed now you've opened up the tent so big and you've got all these dark corners to fill in which you know still guides my thing about what to do with the next incarnation of Trek anyway but we won't go there what I'm getting at is the people that wanted stuff now and this is even before gaming you know the first role play gaming manuals uh, even the licensed ones uh, if you're a gamer you need all this information you can't get by the fact that oh we saw one view of that ship or we met that guy for five seconds that we know he's he's an. they called him an ensign but he's got lieutenant stripes on his shirt you know, I mean, <laughs> that
0: doesn't sound familiar at all.
2: No, not at all. <laughs> but if you look at my, you look at my concordance. I kept track of all the time. I corrected all the. Uh, oh, that's awesome! Wow. I I, right I, I would write like what their duty color was and what their rank was on their uniform versus what they call you know if it was different or whatever. Anyway, there's a difference between like just getting your reference stuff together, which is cool, which is like what I did with my companion. It's like talking to people about what they did and, and collating that together, and then the pure. You know, the pure things like the encyclopedian chronology. Although, you know, Mike took that a step further and and put, especially in the chronology, he, he gap filled, but then he was, and in the tech manual too, but they always had those notes at the bottom of the page that let you know, so you know where you stood. You know what I'm saying? Sure. You knew uh, there's like a hierarchy. You, you're aired, and then there's, you know, our canon hierarchy. This needs to be put, it's like aired canon. And then it wasn't aired, but the creators did it. I sound like I sound like Landry or something, or the, or Val, <laughs> <laughs> or or this, you know, the girls on the Emorgs or whatever. The creators, <laughs> the creators intended for this to be done for the show, but it just never got used in a script. And then there's well, the creators did this at home on their notebook pad and never showed it to anybody at the studio. And then well, five years later, the creators wrote this in a novel, or they wrote it on a sh- on a manual or a reference thing after the show was off the air. But they did it. It's coming out of the same brain. You know? And then it's like, well here's people that know what they're doing that didn't work on the show, like one step beyond, and they're doing it and we all love them and we all trust them and here's what they're saying. And you know, there's like that hierarchy down from actually pristine, sacred aired canon. And then of course there's the well, canon says five different things. Now let's untangle that kind of you know aired show. So there's that hierarchy but for a long time, everything was so simple, we didn't have that, and we sure didn't have people working on the show doing stuff back in the day. So in the 80s, a lot of the stuff was what I call gap-filling because it was all of us that needed to know this crap, damn it, and even before we were gamers and <laughs> we needed to know this crap, damn it. It was just like our our damn itch, our Trek itch needed to be scratched or if you were going to run out and do your own fan film before we need to call them fan films you know, or whatever. Or you're building a model or you're just out in the backyard playing around with your friends or something or whatever. So – that urge you knew good and well you could climb to the tv and walk around that universe because it was all really there even though you didn't get shown it on on every episode you'd ever seen you know but you knew in your head what it was going to be like or look like or whatever so that's what you know we did with gap filling and then next generation came along either the movies might have in the 80s but there were only two hours and people would you know kind of finesse stuff right oh that's what star trek that's what starfleet headquarters looks like okay It's not Franz Joseph, you know, like floating orbital station out in fixed space somewhere. It's at San Francisco. Okay, you know, little things would come along like that, but nothing really earth shaking, until we got next gen, and stuff was cranked out every week. And thank God, you know, Mike and Rick were there to kind of realize what it needed and have a fan background and know the problems of original series, even though they famously, you know, Dorothy and Bob Justman and all those guys wrote memos back and forth. And Matt Jeffries trying to keep stuff straight, but stuff creeped in all the time and they'd change off producers or when Gene wasn't there and all that kind of thing. So they started off trying to mold next gen, even though things creeped in, and then all the other series. But they got a jump start on it and did a you know an incredible job and then and then of course within four or five years could write books and show what, what they'd done or what they had ready for the writers when they needed it. And that's the way to do your show. You know, that's a that's a great way to do your show. So the need to be gap fillers went away because all the stuff a lot of the stuff we'd written about was made moot if it wasn't some of the fanboy writers later on pulling stuff out <laughs> of those things and using it. <laughs> so here we are now. And then when Jeff did the O3 book, it was all canon, canon, canon. If things had to be updated and changed and aligned. And then there was still a lot of wiggle room, tons of wiggle room. And you do your best guess Sulu, you know, interpretation there.
1: Right.
2: And um, and so now look at us, here we are again. We're in a fallow time. And we've got – you know, we had like a few – aside from the two, three years of Enterprise that came after the 03 book and maybe a few moments of Prime and very interestingly to explain it, Prime in J.J.'s first movie, um, there's no real updating to – I mean there's some updating to do, and, but there's not a lot. So it was really – what we did with this is we took Jeff's grid. We didn't need to invent the wheel, reinvent the wheel, and I updated – Um, And then we had two or three major things to decide on what to do with. One of them was the Hobus Romulan supernova, shockwave Mm -hmm. supernova. And one was like the Delphic Expanse and figuring out the Enterprise stars and the Zindi for one thing. And those were the two big things that were obvious updates. And then my thing, my laundry list included… You know, like I said, figuring out the Dominion War, and and it wasn't just figuring it out. It was like we're gonna have to make we're gonna have to jump out on the ice and do some good old fashioned gap filling, because nobody else is gonna touch this. And like the biggest thing was the Battle of Tyra, and the whole oh they're bearing down on Earth and Vulcan and Mm. you know Risa. Well, how the hell can that be if you know if the thing drags on two years and it's all bezier centric. Well, I kind of. Came up with the idea that it really was a twofer. We had some clues in that not only did they did the Dominion occupy Beta Z, they occupied um, 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 uh, the Benzites. Mm, okay. So and so that was a located planet that was like north, quote unquote, of of Saul and, Ter- and Vulcan of Earth and Vulcan in the. So you know, using those clues. So I hope everybody and then I found a person to sound it out with who totally on his own was doing a Dominion War narrative through the eyes of cadets at Starfleet Academy on Facebook, which is kind of amazing. <laughs> and I just didn't say who I was. I just dumped ran into him online and ran some of my ideas by and he was like, Oh yeah, that makes total sense. So anyway, I had five or six, seven people to thank when I did it, got when we totally got done. So um so he was one of them, but that was the big things for me because the book is not a huge honkin' book. It's it's like four or six pages on each map, but it's small print, and um, <laughs> 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 so we did that. But just real briefly, and then I'll take a breath. Ha! Huh? Uh, <laughs> half of the half of the set is modern, more or less, or starfleet oriented. Although we have a we have a Dominion War information map, and we have a Romulan War information map. That's just that's made like it's a schoolroom you know informational chart like only about 3 or 4 years after the war is over oh, oh, that's so it's cool. like Pretty cool. the federation has just been founded it's an enterprise era looking graphics and if you look at that picture uh it's i think it's one that show, yeah there's one that says romulan war over there it's oh, that's it's very one like cool. that yeah, yeah. but there's yeah. a there's a pair that are just the alpha and beta quadrant uh basic views that i think gamers will love because they're they kind of take up a lot of space and i think if you have like if you have a game where you're using ship to ships or even as an aid to your role play, um, you know, I think they'll love that. And and uh, what I call the National Geographic map that Jeff did where it's just like apple pie the flag and kitchen sink all in one <laughs> all in one big honk and think. And a lot of stuff I'd worked through and thought, well Jeff obviously did this in O three and it's not there. And I think either it got cut off for the formatting of the book or whatever. But like the whole doomsday machine mm. L374, yeah. L370 area, and the immunity syndrome amoeba, space-going amoeba, and um, um, what's the system that it destroyed? The Gamma 7A system. I mean there's a big lot of big chunks of area that are classic original series stuff that weren't in – that nobody can find in the 0203 books. And Jeff's like, oh, well, I know I had it somewhere. So we, <laughs> we, we kind of got back that, and tons of stuff are on this that aren't um, – aren't in there but i call it the, those maps like you pull out a national geographic and hang on the wall right the, the last map in the set is reminds me about a lot of that, that. Oh, that's but the other cool, cool thing is ali reese's maps are all alien background and we've never had this before so there's a klingon map made by klingons a Cardassian map made by oh, Cardassians, dude, a no Romulan map cool. and vulcan and they're all from different points in time oh fun mm. i like
1: that so do you have these maps on your walls
2: uh, not yet, because as you know, I just moved. Oh know? right. right. <laughs> oh yeah. okay. That's a
1: good reason. I'll accept that.
2: No, I had a Jeff had done, you know, in in his maps book in '03. There's those foldouts at the back, which was very. It's really weird because there's such a demand for this. I think, and people are going bonkers over. It. Partly, we we had no nonfiction at all for a long time, and then the shows are off. Um, well, I'll say that point for a minute, but but uh, it was hard just to get a copy of the book, and people were like taking. People used to be able to get a copy. They'd rip out the, the foldouts and then, like, put them all – tape them all together and then try to, like, put that together, like people that glue a jigsaw puzzle together in French. wow. And they would do that. Or now they scan them and try to – you can go online and see those. They're all pieced together, mm-hmm. but they've oh, got all the stuff that makes gotcha. it obvious it was four things, mm-hmm. you know, things in the borders. Are, Actually, are, are I think there.
0: I saw that when we were trying to figure out a certain quadrant, <laughs> a quadrant for a certain yeah. pleasure planet Uh uh-huh anyway yes yes we'll digress. so uh yeah
2: that whole thing but um but Jeff had gone and taken his files without them looking like they're page dressed and he had made about I don't know four or five posters for special things and he had one and he kept it and then about I don't know four or five years later he gave it to me because like do you want this I don't want it so I've had this but I didn't have wall space for it because we I, I didn't my office was full of shelves and windows and other stuff and then I didn't want to hang it out in the regular part of the house. So I took it to Vegas this last year and had a big um if you came in and pre ordered for stellar cartography, you were in a drawing and we gave it away the last day of Vegas this year. There's a I'm gonna put a picture up. In fact I put a picture on Trek Landwork because I've forgotten the poor guy's the I've lost <laughs> his name and yeah. I need to get his name back. <laughs> so um so, you know, that was there. But apart from that, people are, are back scrambling and wanting this. And I, I will say that STO used Jeff's grid as a background, so we, we don't conflict. You know, STO, Star Trek Online mm-hmm. is set 40, 50 years in the future. So they were like going, does this contradict the-? It's like, no, because – That's good. I was actually going to cool. ask you to yeah. work yeah. with
0: those guys. That's good to a know. A lot of
2: this – well, I, didn't, I looked to see what was there, and I, we actually went ahead and used their placement for Hobus for the, 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 the uh, um, ground zero for the Romulan supernova, subspace supernova. And I took the took the name. They and we took the name from the comic from the Countdown comic series that uh, Bob and Alex did. So there's, you know, we're using what's. I looked around to say I did. I hate going off on a. Some of the books that have come out over the past, especially in the '80s, that even were licensed, it was either the artist's ego or I mean writer's ego, or maybe it was licensing marching orders and said like, look around, see what the fan consensus is, and then don't do it. (laughs) You know, or something. I don't know but and there's some beloved books out there the space flight chronology but when i got it it was like this is totally trying to make its own way and it's like they have a hate against double planets and they have a hate against <laughs> you know it's like they made sure and had vulcan be a single planet and and even though we can see this double planet in, in yesteryear you know and so th- uh, a lot of beautiful stuff over the years came out but it all you know like i said it all got wiped away when next gen happened and and we had canon Being thrown at us every week, and Mike kind of trying to wrangle it and corral it. And um, anyway, the big thing about writing this was working in the canon universe after I was a kid and getting to do gap filling. And then, you know, coming to, you know, Mr. Smith goes to Hollywood and it's and does communicator and does fact files and does his companion. And everything was like canon, canon, keep her the canon. We've got to, you know, and very different. If we jump out of canon because we need to, we're going to have a think tank and go there very carefully. But We've been out of production since '05, and um, there's the new vibe – again, John looking out for this with a lot of the – the authors are doing their stuff in the novels. But the, the nonfiction has been great, and David's book was such a pioneer in this about, um, about treading very carefully but going ahead and going there and, and venturing out and doing some detail on things. You know concepts and events and historical bits and people because no one's gonna, you know, the novels have already disagreed with themselves and they try to keep that together and that's great and they still will and power to them. But um, uh, it's like it's okay. I mean, I literally there was a point about a fourth of the way through this where I, you know, I did it to myself and then John kind of chimed in and said like. Yes, Larry. unclench your head. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's okay to come up with some new stuff and to go there and and not you know it's like we, you have the freedom to go do that, and you know hopefully not recklessly, but that's really what I mean because I felt it very keenly about i'm gonna I'm gonna locate the Battle of Tyra as a way to explain why uh Earth and Vulcan and the Homeworld and Rice and the Homeworlds of the Federation are being threatened. But it's always teased, and it never really happens, you know? So you'll see that when you get into it. And I also wanted to get into the whole Alpha-Beta Quadrant thing and this this thing about uh, – well, they always – you know the, everybody said the Alpha Quadrant powers, so the Klingons and Romulans must be in the Alpha Quadrant, even though from day one that's not what Mike – and it's been on screen. You know, right. that's not what's happened. So I address that. It's like, you know, come on, Matt. We're stronger with you than without you, you know? So – I, it's like find a couple of just a couple of lines to throw out and a couple of textural things that just make it interesting texture it's just like an aber, you know we talk about germany we talk about the western powers but you know australia is in the pacific i mean you know uh, japan i mean or world war 2 we talk about you know the allies but russia was in the east i mean you know so we just i just say well the dominion was the one that came up with that phrase and Bajor and Cardassian epicenter of the war was in the Alpha Quadrant, so to people coming in from the Gamma, it did feel like they were all being attacked by people in the Alpha Quadrant, so – and then everybody else kind of just picked up on it, so – yeah. yeah,
0: it's it, one thing I want to mention before we go any further is I hope folks, that wasn't too into the weeds for no, no 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 that's perfect and I'm sure folks out there are digging it because we always love this like deep thought kind of inside baseball oh, yeah. kind of stuff but
2: and then you take a break and have me on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> one thing I want to mention though is folks can go to Amazon.com, search for uh, Larry's new book, and uh, pre-order. It'll be coming out December third, uh, so if you want to get uh, get your hands on it the minute it comes out, go to Amazon.com and you can pre-order it.
2: Yeah, and and that's the modern world. I mean, I don't know if you've mentioned that, but that's the modern way. Which I've learned is that it's only at Amazon now. You pre-order, you don't pay, but you um, and you know they say and don't be fooled by the or scared by the list price seventy nine ninety nine. It's it's on sale, but the pre-order price is. Are you ready for this? <laughs> what it what is it? Charity
1: forty seven ninety nine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll keep the ninety nine quiet yeah, that's perfect,
2: <laughs> so yeah, I had nothing to do with that i it, you know somewhere it gives me hope that somewhere one of the accountants at Amazon is a trek fan or something or at least or at least went to you know Pomona College.
0: Well, and, and uh, well, Amazon's publishing company is Forty Seven North. Is that right? Yes. So, yes. Perfect. Maybe the art. It
1: maybe, does sound like. Track maybe fans.
2: Jeff
0: Bezos is a track fan.
2: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or just went to Pomona College. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so. Uh, so no, it's a, it's a here's the thing. Go in. You don't even have to pay right now, but it does lock in the. Pr- they might even raise the pre price as it gets closer to December. Th- December third is the official date. That's when it'll ship, and that's when everybody will have it for sale. So you can go to your Barnes and Noble if you've got their card or whatever. But if you can, here's the thing. Pre order it now because pre order is it's almost like social media. It's almost like a like on Facebook or a view on on YouTube. The more people pre order because let me tell you this, this there's something going on here that's much, much bigger than me. <laughs> or or, or Do we get the tote Alpha bags Quadrant with or <laughs> what? Do we get
0: tote bags with this? <laughs> It just sounded like a PBS thing for a second. There.
2: Oh, this is bi- this is like we're talking about start the return of Star Trek nonfiction, and if mm, you've missed yeah. it, oh, and sure, I don't mean yeah. just the guidebooks. I mean if you're talking about the cool stuff like David's book, hopefully you'll think this is and some of the other things going on. I mean the stuff that fleshes out Star Trek universe. Since we're not getting we're not getting you know weekly stuff uh, cranked out for us and what's happening is every 3 years and then it's in prime so it's all new and different it may be amazing and wonderful but it's not doesn't hook into anything you're emotionally attached to you know um maybe so go in and pre-order it because that pre-order ticker is sending messages to um to Becker Mayer and to Amazon and to CBS Consumer Products IE Licensing and to all the other publishers who are looking at doing in other words, you have the power of uh, the great Star Trek nonfiction renaissance. You have the power of Star Trek gap filling in your hands. If we can get this pumped up, we'll have a you know, I was saying for a while, hey, nonfiction is back, baby, in Star Trek and um and I don't mean just writing down the episodes and when they aired. I mean <laughs> hopefully doing cool stuff like this. And having yeah. it be licensed and having people go through the go through the hoops. And, if you know, it's always if, if the most people buy, you know, the more people buy it, uh, the better it is for more products like that. It's that way with the DVDs and the Blu-rays and all that. But this is a thing about early, you know, the sooner we can see if this thing mushrooms this summer, it's got people putting things in the pipeline that much sooner. So, you know, and the 50th is coming up and there's right. all kinds of talk about what kind of cool things to do um, for the 50th coming up. So, you know, the coolest thing would be to have a series back. But You know, what what we can do as (laughs) individuals, uh, you know, authors and creative people and the publishers and the license holders, what we can do, just whatever the big guys in the studios are doing. And um, so, yeah, so pre-order, get the ticker up and send a message, you know.
0: And it's awesome. Like you said, it's great to have non-fiction Star Trek uh, stuff back, reference uh, materials, tech manuals, your stellar cartography book. You know, I've always le- – that's actually been my favorite thing. I was never one for the novels. I was really more of a technical manual kind of person. And then I was bummed that it stopped at Deep Space Nine because there was no Voyager technical mm-hmm. manual. There was no Enterprise te- technical and you manual. And,
2: you know, and there's different flavors. I mean, like I used to say the tech heads. But there's more I – mean, people love the – you know, the guys that love the blueprints. And now the ship – I, I sh- we should mention the um, – it's like the fact files and the ship have merged and they're doing the ship a month, um, mm, right? Okay, the thing. Yeah, and yeah. I need to yeah. I need to do a a piece for them because um, they used to work on um, <sighs> Rob. I've I've gone blank on his name. But I used to work on fact files. It's going to have where people can get a little ship, and not just like the five, you know, the Enterprises and a Klingon bird of prey and stuff. They're talking about all, every little damn anal ship that was CGI'd. And, yeah. You know, ninety five percent of these have never seen a bit a model kit, much less a toy, much less a giveaway in bubble gum or something. I mean, they're talking about really having a cool thing, you know, coming with it and a little info packet that comes with it. But cool stuff like that. We're really in an age where they're trying to be imaginative and go to things that people haven't seen before and fill the gap, not, not just the information gap, but everybody's, you know, addiction gap. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. a real, totally. Of yeah. what's not out there. And, and if you miss the days, you know, and back when there was nothing out there, but you, some things just don't translate to being online. And I, I remember this. when We were doing still doing Communicator, and um, and the big magazine, the, the Star Trek magazine, was Fact Files redone for America. And you still had some fold. We did foldouts. It wasn't quite like the feel of unfolding a big blueprint, like the original blueprints and all the fan blueprints that came after, and Mike McMaster's blueprints. But there's some things you just can't replace online, you know. And being able to fold out a map and fold out a blueprint. And have oddball odds and ends kind of things like in the vault book or the stuff that was in the back of the Federation book. That's just that's just cool. And Absolutely there are some things not. that you know when they thought that books would dry up with everything being online. There's some things that online can't replace. And some and somebody told me one time, and I I used to say this, and then I heard somebody say it again. There's nothing that can replace just being able to go to the shelf. You're watching something, or you're watching a show, or you're in the middle of something. And you don't you're not near a computer or your even your your you know your smartphone. You just want to walk over the shelf, yank it off the off the shelf, open it right up to where you know it is, and point to it and go there, bang. You know? And this will be and, perfect for Star Trek yeah.
0: Online folks too. I mean you could use the maps while you're playing the game. That was one of my favorite things when I used uh-huh. to play gosh, I don't know, Earth and Beyond, some failed multi you know multiple online what MMORPG yeah. back in the early two thousands. And I had an actual map for it, and that made all the difference in the world. This was before people had multiple monitors or tablets or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, you could take these maps and use them for Star Trek Online. I think that would be pretty pretty cool.
2: Oh, Good yeah. Experience. Well, again, it's not updated. In fact, we don't have time, but we actually had a little bit of a glitch because the, the artists jumped onto the maps they found online, and they were the online maps, and they had all those new empires out around the edges, and we had to, like, back them off. <laughs> no, that's great, but the head start. You just, you know, pull back, pull back, pull back to the Tholians <laughs> and the Breen. Um, but uh, um, I do want to say here, though, that there's like four alien, the alien maps. And the hope was that the, some of these would be so cool no matter what your particular favorite slice of fandom was. Like if you were a Klingon fan or, or Vulcan or, you know, hey, those Romulans and Cardassians are coming up in the world too. Um, I see more and more of them at conventions. But you know it's like take that out and and frame it and put it up and 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 they're all at the different points in time now the conceit I started to mention this the conceit kind of like David's book, these are all like popular uh when people come to memory this is all memory alpha centered, and it's supposed to be when the public comes or accesses you know requests documents at memory alpha for public consumption or the displays that are up for people to come there live. And it's, these are supposed to be ten of the most popular maps that people have requested or viewed live at Memory Alpha. Very and so cool. some of them are so far back they're paper. Some of them are just digital. Out. So we wrote it. It actually has an in canon in universe um, you know framework, kind of like David did with his. He was Dr. David Goodman of Memory Alpha, and I'm Dr. Larry Immercheck from Memory Alpha. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of little little uh, homages there, but. You know some of the things respecting when they were in history. Okay, so the Cardassian and the Romulan, we have them include English translations on their own maps as a, as a SOP. The the Klingon and the the Klingon map is from the Organian era, pre Organian era, and the Vulcan map is from right after the death of Surak. Oh wow! So they would have no clue about English, and uh, the Vulcan map has had the Galactic Standard overprinted on it for people. The Klingon, we actually did a thing, knowing that Klingon fandom is kind of the biggest of the alien fandoms. uh, We actually did the entire wall hanging has no English on it at all. Oh wow, neat.
0: That's cool. The (laughs) Klingon uh, fans are going to be stoked about that.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I hope so. And then it 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 is translated in the book, so there's a larger than usual reproduction of it in the book with all the English on there. Very cool. And um, yeah, yeah. So you know, we hopefully we tried to get some. Bombastic propaganda-ish stuff with all the different, you know, if they were adversaries or whatever from the time we selected. So I'm really hoping, and and of course this, the 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 um, other maps are cool too. There's the the Dominion War is is about um, I forget we did it 10 15 years after the Dominion War. the the Ronlan War is just two or three years after, and the Federation has been is just barely been up and running for a couple of years. And they're still using the same font, so it's not, you know, it's not United Earth putting it out. It's, uh, it's the Federation now. So, um, so yeah. Uh, so I'm really hoping there'll be something for everybody. And whatever your, uh, whatever show you were a fan of, maybe, or whatever, you know, if you're an alien, if you love uh, cosplaying or the culture of one of the aliens, you've got a, a cool thing to put in your track room now. Or maybe you put up all ten of them. I don't know. So, uh, so yeah, and hopefully, then, when all the focus is really on the maps, I'm hoping that I was able to, uh, you know, do some good works for Itik uh, Itik there in the book and uh, make peace and um, <laughs> and and do my little own little laundry list that I've carried around for about ten years of things that need to be fixed or whatever. And that's so- got to
0: be gratifying for you too. So that's that's really cool. So okay. I was going to ask you about this, and I know that novel, the novelization of Star Trek, novels in Star Trek, um, aren't considered canon. At least that's the the scuttlebutt that I've seen. How does how does nonfiction fit into that? I know how canon works, other than sticking a ball in it and lighting a fuse, right? I know how, how <laughs> I know how canon works, but how does it fit with with the nonfiction stuff? Like, or making a towel. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So if you um, if you had to do some gap filling, how does that work for Canon?
2: Well, again, it's it's different. It's I had to like I guess I had to like jerk my gears around to remember that we're not in a TV production time, and I say TV because it's it's like the '80s with these movies. You get two hours every well, right. at least in the '80s, it was every two years. Now it's every three or four years, and it's prime, so it doesn't hook back into everything that you know mostly of anyway. But um, but now, although on the other hand. The stars and planets don't change. You know, people (laughs) – time streams change and, you know, what is it? Galaxies may fall and – but a woman is still a woman. Um, (laughs) A star system is still – you know, unless you, like, blow up Vulcan or you blow up Romulus in one time stream or the other or whatever, unfortunately. But uh, the stars and planets stay the same. So, you know, we kind of, like, run away and don't even try to explain Delta Vega unless you want to go with the – he was having a Klingon hallucinational – Image thing there when he saw <laughs> Vulcan blow up from Delta Vega, and it was the snowy side of Delta Vega right. we saw, not the uh, you know lithium mining side of of Delta Vega. But um, the, Kelvin uh, yeah. the Kelvin blew up. Isn't that why you always
0: say the Kelvin blew up?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Kelvin blew up. Um, but apart from that, the stars and planets locations are something that can hold steady. You know, whatever. And by the end of Enterprise, you know, Mike Sussman and those guys were going. Well, Jeff was on the staff of Enterprise. So the book that he did was based on the first. He was on the first year of Enterprise, and a lot of the stuff that they laid down for Enterprise was. And he had a few things. It's hard to see him, but like in Archer's ready room, he would have. They had pa- paper, paper pinned up on his bulletin board, in you know <laughs> in twenty one fifty one still, and uh, it was graph paper graphics that Jeff made that he pulled down to use in the book. So there oh, was wow. a really strong, you know, continuity canon thing though in there. I'm, I'm forgetting where I'm going with this, but what I'm trying to – oh, so while the, when the shows – like during the 80s and the 90s and the aughts even, the poor authors, I didn't envy them. They had a lot of canon restrictions on them, but you could even do something innocuous and have a book come out – have a show you know, three years later that totally negates what you wrote about. But they were, they were cranking those you – know, they were like five or six books a month coming out as the shows went along and i don't want to say there were some of them were disposable but there was such a hunger and demand for those i mean they sold them and that's great but i remember even just like titles i remember like the, one of the early next gen titles got used for an episode 3 or 4 years later and people are like and, and you know and then of course johnny come lately fan comes along 20 years later and goes this book has nothing to do with the episode why <laughs> did you do that and it's like well it was done 4 years before cuz that's it's real right. time that's what you have so now you know I think the author writers, aside from being able to play across series boundaries, and they're, you know, that's what they want, that's what CBS wants them to do. It's very creative and encouraging. And I will say, you know, David and Dayton and Kevin and uh, Keith and all the guys, they have no trouble spinning an entirely new story with that weight of 737 cannon hours around their neck. They can do it just (laughs) fine. I don't see what the, you know, a TV staff could come along and have one guy. From that pool or something akin to that, I'd be able to – I wouldn't mind helping. But they can have one or two of their uh, advisor, assistant, reviewer people on staff to throw ideas out for that or just to be an advisor. Like I said, you can fix all kinds of things with one or two lines. But my bigger point is um, I think since we've had no uh, active prime production that there's been a concerted effort to to do that. And I think the, the guys now writing the novels all get a kick out of that. And it's not quite so – it's not quite such a thread-the-needle kind of proposition. So you were saying, like, keeping up with canon with the books, um, I, you know, they'd sit down and – they do. well, one thing. The, um, David Mack took time when they did the Vanguard series.
1: Mm.
2: You know, totally it was set down. They, they intentionally set it down between the Klingons and the Tholians, down kind of on the distant edge of explored space or – you know passed through a few times but hardly on the major space lanes you know off you know it's kind of like north coast of alaska <laughs> kind of a thing and uh but he you know i got back to him and and one of the things that um i think john in licensing said why don't you uh you know locate vanguard or where it was because it doesn't you know it only existed a few years in the in the canon of those in the timeline of those books and i asked the guys i said did you have an idea where you might you know and almost before i could finish typing my email david came back and said yes i know exactly where it is <laughs> and he, he sent me you know he he had used a clip from jeff's book and popped right where it was and i went okay fine so especially since it only lasted a few years it's right. very easy to pop that in so that was like a nod to the books we could do very easy and that were very popular and a lot of people loved the vanguard series and it didn't hurt that it had a you know a beginning and an end point a little bit like the delphic expanse which you know was ended in 2354 or whatever and <laughs> but it was because it was 2000 miles 2000 light years long and 25 light or 50 light years wide and but it had to be in near space between you know earth and chronos it's like how do we shoehorn that in there right and and we did it we did a we took a page from spock fighting con and said well it, the only thing that would work is to make it up and down wise not in the lateral you know in the z axis. G- oh. Think yes, think of space as three-dimensional. And um and it fit, so very, you know, smart. it was like one big one big uh, lasagna noodle in space or whatever. So, so to answer your question, yeah, it's it's I think the guys I think it's there's a lot less people writing novels now, although they're they're letting new people do it, but they're really paying attention to canon and um there's nothing to there's no wall to press against right now. It's established stuff and then who knows. So, everybody's thinking that said, I know that there were two or three novels written about the ronman war and when david did his sketching of two or three battles for the ronman war what little bit we know. You know it ended with the battle of sharon earth was attacked at least once in some way it, you know you know it led directly to the federation being founded in 2161 it happened after archer's time which we see end in 2155 and um and um uh you know we had that end that they would have gone ahead and done it but they they ran out no one funded a show you know whatever (laughs) so uh, so um, so we we know that and the book guys the authors went one way and then David came up with something else and I kind of I wondered what to do with mine and uh, I went ahead and went with David's so I've already said my apologies to you know David and Keith and all the guys that did in uh, I forget I apologies too if I've gotten them, forgotten somebody but the guys that did the Roman war novels and there were one or two or three of them at least I think I apologize for not going with their details but I just I just ran with David's since it was you know sister amazon and someday 15 or 20 years from now if somebody's really into it they can massage all of our stuff together (laughs) (laughs) if it's not me still doing it so you know but that's that's one conceit that i i did feel a little bit bad but as i read david's book i saw where he went there with a bunch of stuff hell david even pulled out the thing i did for the prop book of generations this the picard thing when i used all my family's names and did battle of charon and founding a federation news clippings and uh Put all this detail in because it didn't exist, like it was like, oh this is cool it's ninety ninety four and I'm going to do a little gap filling here because no one will care <laughs> and then here he goes and pulls it out for his um for his uh for his deal so anyway that you know you never know when something's going to pop up and go that that way so
0: it's an interesting way to look at Canon. you know a lot of people think that um that that okay, they just write off the novels as not canon, but it's it's Canon until it's replaced by something that's on a show yes so. Yes, that's a and much that's better the way, way everything to
2: look at it. everything we did in the 80s was that way. It got stuff got replaced wholesale in 87. Well, and not even wholesale cuz things gradually got But what you have happened also, especially by the time of Enterprise, by the time you had uh by the time you had Mike Sussman and Phyllis Strong and Manny Cotto and um Chris Black writing episodes. And even before that, Will Ron and Renee and those guys. But even by the time of Enterprise when you're back in early years, they were pulling stuff out of game manuals. There's there's things about the Andorians that I know that Mike pulled out of some of the like eighties era and the early um um oh that company I used to work for. Uh, <laughs> when they got the role play game. There's things they pulled out of game manuals to have a little you no, know, nothing nothing uh, concrete, no big overarching thing, but they would pull a name and a concept out and use it. So, you know, go for it. Just be be grounded. There was a thing I used to say, and one of my college roommates used to laugh at me because I, I was just a dumb hick in Oklahoma, but I knew how Hollywood worked. And all the fans running around griping about, well, this this is – what do you mean she's half Romulan half Vulcan? Well, you never had that before. <laughs> I mean little things like that would pop up in the – even what little we got every two hours, every two years, things would aggravate people. Whether well, having Starfleet Academy on the ground, not up in the big floating <laughs> thingy in the tech manual. How did that happen? It's like, well, because this is Hollywood, and they're making the real deal, and nobody cares about who wrote this book 15 years ago, some guy somewhere. Right. you know, It was a license, and it's been over – so you had that, and I was like, it's too bad. And I, I was like, no one on a movie that gets together every two years is going to hire somebody to sit around and tell them all this crap. They're going to write their story and get it going. Now, it's gotten a lot more sophisticated and aware, but back in the day, that didn't – you had old Hollywood people doing this stuff. You know, Nobody grew up a fan because nobody – no, there was no Star Trek in the 40s right.
1: or the 50s, right. so right.
2: nobody could grow up as a fan. So I was like we need a committee of people, and I knew there were like five or six of us around the country that cared back in pre-internet days. It's like we need to have like all these guys get together, and when they need something, then we kind of ha- – we all have like a brain trust and hash it out, and then we give them our best answer and let them use that. And if it doesn't fit the story, then we massage it and – But at least they're not in a vacuum, and so that it comes out, and you go, What do you mean he didn't know? What do you mean he knew who Chekhov was? You know, kind of stuff. And now today I look, and that's what Memory Alpha is. It's all those, it's the, you know, sometimes anal, but always diligent committee of guys (laughs) all trying to uh, police stuff. And it's kind of like, See, that's, you know, that's what it is. So. I had a friend that something would pop up, and I'd go, "Well, that doesn't make sense." And my friend would say, "Why don't we give it to the committee?" You know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so nice. yeah, it's that. It's that. Canon is canon, and even more so in production. It, there, I always rather than think of it whether it's elastic or not. I always talk about it as, as like um, about layers. You know, right. a spectrum. And we had, you know, and as, and as long as, it's like, look, if, the, if, you, if you go to pull something out of here and you got nothing in aired cannon, then what's the next layer you back up to? And then what's the next level you back up to? You know, that kind of thing. A hierarchy. Nimichek's hierarchy of cannon. I think it should be taught in every psychology <laughs> class.
0: So we've learned that uh, with canon, you, what, what did you say earlier? You uh, stay grounded. You stay grounded and you keep your powder dry. Right? Yeah, <laughs> that's what we do with canon
2: and keep a very very long fuse. Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I don't know if I mentioned it earlier when I was talking about the, um, and, and I think Charity told me to mention it earlier <laughs> uh, yeah. when I was talking about the pre-order. No, I'm glad you did. Uh, it's the Star Trek Stellar Cartography, uh, the Starfleet Reference Library. So mm-hmm. be sure and check that out uh, yep. on Amazon.com.
1: Hashtag
2: STSC, I
1: guess, is what we find. There in the you site. go. Oh, no kidding. Oh, yeah. good to know.
2: Tell everybody. No, it's it's very cool. Um, you'll want your own. You won't you won't want to fight over it with a friend because you'll you'll both want the Klingon map, <laughs> you know. And then you'll have to rip it in half, and it'll look ugly. And but no, I think gamers will love some of yeah. this stuff. I think uh, fans of all the different alien races will love it. Uh, if you love if you love you know non if you're a, a I, I say gamer I mean Sto gamers and also like you know. Ship to ship hero click ships or whatever you love doing. If you're if you just take your D and D guys and do like we used to do and paper and dice it, it's great. You know, put down plastic over. It. In fact, some of the maps have hexes as the grid. So you're oh you're there also. You go. Oh, oh here's another thing. My laundry list of things to if not fix at least to do differently in this set. If and if you had the old the, the old geez it, it is eleven twelve years old now. If you had the O two O three book that Jeff did. The most <laughs> maddening thing about it is there's no index, mm. and if you're looking for something, even if you know what's oh, in the Alpha Quadrant, yeah. and you're like, okay, there's 40 billion stars crammed on these pages, and it's like when we were working on this, and I was we'd do research, it's like I go to Memory Alpha, Memory Alpha says, and the Star Trek Star Charts locates it on page blah blah blah, and then I would go back to page, but then you'd still have like 80 or 90 or 100 stars to sift through mm. to find it. One thing we did on the big basic Alpha-Beta-Quadrant map is there's a key. Oh, very there's cool. Like so cool. Very cool. Letters across the top, numbers down the side, and there's a, there's a thing. And at the same time, it's a twofer. You also get, like, star, a planet that's around a dissimilarly named star. So if there's, like, a proper name for a planet instead of, you know. So you, and, and I'm talking about beyond Earth and Saul or Vulcan and forty Eridani, you know, those kind of things. So, um, so, yes. So if you're trying to find something, at least on the main map— uh, we've got a key for you, which used to drive us up the wall. That's perfect.
0: Now, and you know, you mentioned role-playing. I would love to see Star Trek, uh, the role-playing game, make a resurgence at conventions. I don't know if anybody's playing it there, but I think that would be awesome.
2: Are you talking about, uh, you're not talking about, all, uh, you're talking about paper and dice. yeah. yeah. Oh, ta- yeah. What is it? Will calls it um, uh, tabletop? Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Or
0: IRL in real life role-playing. I don't know. I just made that up.
2: In, well, now, in real life is like live action role playing, like LARPing. Oh, oh you're
0: right. Good point. Uh, Excellent uh-huh, point. Uh-huh. So, mind role playing. I don't know. That's getting worse. Yeah, well, tabletop role playing. I, I still <laughs> like saying paper
2: and dice. Because you can play we'll a computer game on your tabletop. You right. Know, so. True. Yeah,
1: in real time. In real, <laughs> lord, in time. real life, yeah. <laughs> I'm playing this
2: on a computer on my table last week. That's what I'm. <laughs> doing. I'm
0: pretending to play this, so I'm LARPing, role playing. <laughs> Good lord! But I'd like to see a resurgence a resurgence of the paper and dice tabletop role playing.
2: Yeah, what, what was funny too is you know some of the d- devotees of things like Starfleet battles was the first big you know thing to come out. Uh, play, it was ship to ship gaming, and then some people would try to attach personal personnel to it but it was it was ship to ship you know gaming combat and it you, it came out in the 70s so they use my, my my treatise here is you can tell what era a game was started in by how their what their their stellar cartography what their astrography is hmm. because uh, uh, starfleet battles came out in the 70s and their basic layout is the Franz joseph tech manual layout so you know, and and once something has been going four or five six years, everybody's ingrained in it, and they're not about to come in and dynamite it. You know, go oh, throw away all your manuals and start over <laughs> this way. Well, some companies might, but not not these guys. And then all the FASA or FASA gaming in the '80s was all based on the Bantam maps on the uh, on the ones that Jeff took over from Mike McMaster when Mike McMaster was killed. That my stuff would have been, in it except it got tossed. And we could – you know, so all of the. Um, all the parameters and all the uh, all, all the relationships of the stars and the way the Klingons and Romulans are situated and all that in all the face of gaming stuff was relates to that. And now you know by the time uh, gingerly toward the Alpha Beta Gamma Delta quadrant system, and then especially after O two or O three, Star Trek O is uh, online is using um, is using that, and that is the most that is the one that reflects the great bulk of aired canon and it's it's what should have. I mean it's another case of how we've evolved and you know and it was on film on 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 film too so uh, on air. So it's really it's kind of funny the way uh, the gaming systems you know do it. I um you know the fastest stuff would have to be cuz there was um yeah there was the new wave of uh stuff uh, uh last unicorn which gave way to uh Decipher. Uh, Decipher bought out New uh, Last Unicorn and, and tweaked it and kept a lot of that going. And those, that was all based on the, you know, Alpha Beta Gamma Delta quadrant and basically things are located here, kind of thing. And 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 Jeff took a lot of that into consideration. O two O three and and all. So um, so but the, yeah, as as computers and online and digital and everything took over, it's kind of fun to see in the in the mainstream gaming world. With people like you know Will kind of championing it back and uh, Felicia and their and their that show his show and um, seeing seeing it. but you know people um, I don't know Chris you're thinking like the old type conventions that were like off the lit model where people had gaming and art shows and yeah, all that and
0: I think I am and, and I've, I actually never and the got big to go, industrial
2: Comic y type show, things uh, although there is a game room at San Diego Comic Con there's right. some all the old touches of a lit con type format. They're all like just in, in little rooms stuck off to the side in the hotels. But you can actually find a con suite and you can actually find an art show and you can actually find a game room at San Diego. But a lot of the other ones, the mid-sized Comic-Con-y type things, you know, like certainly not, you know, and then or if it's a really hardcore professional, um, professionally run thing like the Wizard Worlds or the Creations or whatever, there's no game room there.
0: Well, you know you what? Know. Actually, I think Wizard World might do that. I think they actually oh, – okay. well, but the thing is, though, it's not – I don't think that it's um, – I don't. Or think maybe it's, it's
2: – well, they're, they've got ties to gaming, so, right. yeah, that would make yeah, sense yeah. for them. But I, I
0: don't think it's like role-playing. I think it's more of the Warhammer 40,000-type uh, gaming, and I they don't have, really know much about that.
2: They but. have rows of monitors hung up, yeah. <laughs> no, it would be because I'm – well, <laughs> when I was – you know, I, I was never a big role-play gamer, but all my friends did, and it was when it was first booming – and I, you know, can I tell you guys a secret? Like, I, sure. I I don't really, just promise me this will never be heard. Okay. I have never, like, had any, I, it's fun. I get it that it's a huge popular, different levels. I never got what the big attraction was with medieval times. Oh, okay? me neither. No, okay. me neither, totally. So, so whether it's, I mean, I and I know, I know the popular means of people love this, they stay, whether it's SCA people and they're recreating it. Or they're just all hitting each other with foam, you know, swords. Or it's <laughs> or it's you know, all of everything that Tolkien has done and all of the medieval, you know, elves and hobbits and all of that and all that. I just was never a fan of the Midi- middle ages because you know, like you lived in crappy homes and and hit each other with knives and swords and, and people died when they were yeah. four, you know. No,
0: totally. I, I never got it either. And and yeah. when I was a kid playing role playing games, um, Dungeons and Dragons being the most popular, I would always look for other stuff. Star Trek, that aforementioned well, other franchise that we had talked about earlier that I didn't know about, uh, uh-huh. um, and even stuff like Mech Warrior or um, you know, Top Secret was a spy one that you could play. But I, I'm with you; I never got into the into the medieval time stuff.
2: But I, but I was. Not stupid, and I knew that with all my friends playing, like you said, D anD D and everything, I would sit down and go, okay, and I would find my way and find a niche, and okay, ha huh, ha, huh. and um, but I would say, okay, why don't we do this with Star Trek? And you know, there was a, I actually, when I was at a convention, um, I think it was one where I was at with you guys, um, ran across the guy who did the first role play game. I remember that, and uh, and it was just a little paperback, paper bound, stapled book. But he was licensed in like the ancient days, uh, <laughs> I mean, like late seventies, early eighties, and uh, he had like little lead figures. And I, I have my one with McCoy in it, which was like McCoy, Uhura, and Sulu, and or you could get Kirk and Spock and who check off? I don't know, uh, Scotty maybe. But you know, uh, Luzoki had the ships that were little plastic ships, and there was a, there was a ship system. But this was. Um, uh, Star Trek, Adventure Gaming in the Final Frontier, and it had a big purple planet on the front. And it was a very basic gaming system for the and the real purists of my gaming friends, I'd say, Let's role play Star Trek sometimes. And I'd look, look, there's even a system out for it. <laughs> and we got that. And it was a really clunky, horrible, dumb system. So one of my friends, Cody and I, who was one of my fellow survivors at the Conor Wrath, by the way, one of my best friends, um, uh He sat down, and he he had the gaming smarts. I had the Star Trek smarts, and we put together a system. Now, the other thing was all this time, every time I'd say let's game Star Trek, everybody would say, no way, Jose, because whatever we do, no matter who comes up with it and who DMs it, they'll come out. Their whole scenario will be based on something, and you'll go, well, no, just do this and this like they did in blah, blah, blah. And you go, oh, you know, and it just blows up the whole game. Nobody wants to game with you so i finally said fine i'll dm one and so then we sat down and came up with a system and i had a whole scenario and it was part of it was on a ship and part of it was planet-based and it was about an avianoid race and starfleet and you you crew on a you know blah 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 and we did it and everybody had a lot of fun and then we never went back to it and then after that the faces stuff started coming out and Mm, and all that but um but yeah that's my experience it was kind of like so i put up with all the medieval and the D&D stuff because everybody I knew did. If I wanted to see my friends, that's what I had to do. Right. You know, it was either like, you know, theater rehearsal and club meetings uh, or they were gaming and, um, you know, back in the day.
0: And I I enjoyed it. Like, I'm sure you enjoyed just hanging out with your friends and having fun, but it just never inspired me like like sci-fi does.
2: Yeah, and I sure didn't. I mean, I was... (laughs) I went to some SCA, a Society for Creative Anachronism, the guys that recreated medieval, and what most of the guys were in it for was just to go out and hit each other with, you know, boffer swords and stuff or get into the whole rank, you know, oh, I'm a duke and a baron, oh. <laughs> and, you know, the whole – and I kept going, what's the appeal of this? And I remember one of my friends going, well, if you're like a janitor all week and then on the right. weekend you can go out and be uh, this year's king of the of the tournament, then that's pretty cool. Yeah. Because some people would like just live in their persona all the time. They would only – I, I knew people that would only use their, like SCA name, like in their day to day conversation, and people that would know them for five and six and eight years and say, "Oh, I don't know. I just, I just know it's Wildfire. I don't, I don't know her <laughs> real name." I thought he was you know? named Wildfire. I thought he was. I thought he was like Michael Murphy, paid him to run around and <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> and do. That. And they called him Wildfire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, but so I, you know, I don't don't hate me, everybody. So it was, you know, I'm I'm thrilled for Peter Jackson, Uh, not Peter Jackson. Um, yeah, director Peter Jackson. I'm thrilled for all the Hobbits, and I'm thrilled for everybody finding token. I'm thrilled for, you know, token's family arguing over whether the movies were good or not. I'm thrilled for all all of that stuff happening. But I just never. So yeah, so rope. I'm I'm totally empathizing with you there. I would. um, and then again, I've never really sat down and done STO, even though I keep, you know, threatening to, or Terry Scholl keeps saying, oh, you should sit down and do it sometime. It's like, well, I, okay, I'm, like, I'm going to fit this in and get addicted where in my schedule. <laughs> That's exactly what <laughs> happened to me.
0: I've actually got a, a lifetime uh, subscription to STO. I did it so I could, you know, do some reviews for the yeah. site. But I, I played it probably Hello? 20 yeah. times. Yeah. Can you hear us? You still there? You got us? Hello?
1: Larry? Well, I heard him for a second. You all blipped out for a moment. Oh, are uh, you
2: back? Oh, oh, okay.
0: Yeah. Oh, that that internet. I swear. It's so the what internet's fault. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So what have we learned today? We learned that no matter where the hell you are in Star Trek fandom, you need to buy Star Trek Teller <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. That's what we've learned. Yes, we exactly.
0: Have. And you know, I I want to bring it back around to uh, to film as well. Speaking of film, how's the Con of Wrath going?
2: The Con of Wrath. Well, you know, it's been kind of a busy year this year. And I've kind of put the Con of Wrath – I don't want to say on a back burner because we did shoot a lot in March. Um, But that was one thing that I could set aside because Star Trek Continues came at me. This book came at me, and we did this in like five months, which was – we started from square one. Yeah. Wow. Um, Stellar cartography, and then I had my move in the middle of the year, Mm. sandwiched in between um, San Diego and Vegas. Mm Mm-hmm and uh it's been kind of a, a crazy busy year but i've just been thinking about getting back on track with that and i've nothing i'd better ever say online but i had a very my my um panel at at Comic-Con in San Diego this year i there was somebody in the audience who came up to me and threw something at me out of the blue and we're we're just taking baby steps with it i'm not about to jinx it or anything but it it could be it could turn out to be nothing or it could be very exciting Oh, very and, fun and um and that's, that's Con of Wrath-related. Oh, cool. Neat. Very uh, cool. Yes, we're going to mass-produce Con of Wrath drinking mugs. No, <laughs> yeah, um, so there's that. But, no, I need to get, I need to get um, back onto that. And, and of course, oh, and my CD, uh, right. the CD right, series, right. the Trek Land on Speaker CDs. And we're about to go shoot another Star Trek Continues here.
0: Very cool. Awesome. So when does that actually uh, start? When, do, when are you going to start filming?
2: We actually film um, – Uh, End of this month, the end of October. So October 22nd, we have our table read in southeast Georgia, and we have the 10-day shoot with some awesome, awesome guest stars, one of whom is very famous and not connected (laughs) to Star Trek.
0: Oh, wow. I'm guessing it's probably not Jamie Bamber. No. Yeah, poor Jamie Pamper.
2: Well, now he is connected to Star Trek now. No, now, he is. Yeah. yeah, he is now. I love <laughs> oh, that. Oh, have a little fade. That was, <laughs> I'm not going
0: to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen Star Trek Continues, but that was, <laughs> that was a little, that was I, I liked that. I liked the little cameo. So.
2: And it was even the little, and we're talking about the pilot, uh, right. Pilgrim of Eternity, yep. for those who love knowing the, ooh, you even know the episode, title. <laughs> uh, The other Apollo, as it were. Yeah, good point. Oh, my gosh.
0: I didn't even realize. You have to get that? I think that's him.
2: Okay, Okay. that is me. Oops.
0: No, that's perfect. And it's funny. Earlier you said uh, that uh, Jamie was Apollo. You know, I didn't even put those two things together. I was just like, hey, it's Jamie Bamber. I didn't think, of course, he played Apollo. And Apollo is in Star Trek Continues.
2: Behold the layers of Uh. subtlety. (laughs)
1: So how I'm long after slow. how long after the um uh filming it will the whole thing be done?
2: Well, if episode 2 is like episode 1, mm-hmm. we shot that in late in middle January and it was done by Memorial Day. Oh wow. Wow. That's cool. Or uh, Phoenix Comic-Con and awesome. I know Vic is working on having a debut spot for this kind of the same way. There'll nice. be a world premiere at some convention somewhere, hopefully. Very cool. And uh, so hopefully, yeah, like four or five months for the spring con you know, in October. Hopefully by the early, you know, like late winter, early spring con somewhere, we can um, we can do that. Yeah. And, and the, and, and the like, Farragut guys are going to film right after us. So the stages are going to get used like back to back for oh, like a straight cool. month. Oh, very cool. Nice. Very cool.
0: Yeah. And like uh, everybody else out there, I'm stoked to see uh, a new one. This oh, was yeah. one of the best, if not the best, uh, fan-made
1: series. Um, I full-on dug series.
0: it. And I, you know... Not to, I'm not disparaging anyone else because I've enjoyed oh, yeah, all no. of them. I loved Exeter. I thought Exeter was great. It's a shame that it uh, kind of went mm-hmm. uh, the way of the Dodo, but um, I really dug Star Trek Continues. You were great in it. Yeah, everybody was good in it. Uh, Vic was fantastic as Kirk. I just it was, it was good. It was really yeah. good.
2: It, and it was his baby. Now, I was going to say, if you love the Exeter sets, the sets have found new life. My, my homies in Oklahoma City, the Ajax guys, who are in you know, a smaller ship but still Kirk-era, TOS era, uh, have inherited all the uh, Exeter sets, so they're yeah, that's super
0: cool. Actually, I think I wrote a, I might have written a story about that. When I, back when subspace mm-hmm. communique actually had new stories on it, <laughs> I think I wrote, we'll a, j- soon, it, again. It, it's going to yes. reemerge. Uh, and oh, this will be like one of the Phoenix. first ones. Yes, yeah. Rising out of Arizona. <laughs> right. Exactly.
2: I, I got a class one, I got a code one uh, subspace communique about that, I think, or something.
0: No, i <laughs> it's, yeah, I, it, it's pretty cool because uh, it's funny, those, those sets were here. They, they were in Austin. This whole time. They I had, had no, no idea. idea. Yeah. None until I read that story. And your buddies from Oklahoma came down here and got them and took them back. and Sleeping or, on the job. would he, uh, no. he
1: swiftly kicked himself. Yeah. It's for yeah. Not yeah. knowing. Well,
0: it's we, okay. Here's another one everybody else is going to cringe at. Um, it, starting Subspace Communique back in April of 2009, four days after starting it, um, they showed Wrath of Khan here at uh, either the Paramount, I, th- I think it was the Paramount, or Alamo Draft House, or somewhere, and Leonard Nimoy shows up with the preview copy of J.J. Abrams' Star yep. Trek, and it was literally, and
1: it was like down the road, yeah, down the road, Erg. yeah, total. Bummer. Anyway,
0: <laughs> I cried a little. Well, I cried a lot. I shouldn't say a little. I oh, cried a ye
2: lot. of little uh, ambition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Had no idea. Anyway. Uh, but, no, we're looking forward to that. And we're looking obviously looking forward to Star Trek Stellar Cartography, the, the Starfleet Reference totally. Library. Yep.
2: That's and here's, here's the order. hot news for you guys. I think I mentioned this on one other thing. Mm. I am finally this week getting this set up. But this is, not, this is no big deal. But it's like a new corralling of people, a new community um, for a specific purpose. I am finally, hopefully by the time you, you get this posted, finally launching my Trekland Trunk Facebook page.
1: Oh, very oh, awesome. Cool.
2: Very cool. Which totally has the sole purpose of, if you think out there in truckland, land, uh, internet video, radio world, if you think you might have an interest in buying uh, draft scripts, rare scripts, set plans, uh, memos, <laughs> uh, anything like that that I'm digitizing –… to keep the information, but I don't want to keep up the bulk because I don't keep, care about collecting it. I'll keep my basic script library, but everything else I'm, I'm going to be getting rid of for bulk after I get it scanned. Uh, if you're interested in things from my archives basically, I'm going to bit by bit be putting things up on eBay… Wowzers. And rather than come into my sites and say, oh, here like use car salesman, we got a 62 Ford over here. <laughs> I'm going to have that. I'm going to have that up. If you go over and just like the page, then when I put something on eBay or whatever, um, then you'll 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 find out about it. If you don't care about that kind of thing, I won't you know, I won't Facebook bomb you or twitter bomb you that way but that's uh,
1: that is genius. So wow nice if
2: you're if you're interested you'll be there you'll hear about it and we won't indulge anybody else so we'll yeah there. so yeah, uh <laughs> i was just gonna say that's instantly liked yeah, yeah. No, so cool just one. so just like it the trekland trunk uh my nice. friend kevin did another cute little simple logo for me and <laughs> cool. um, it is what it is you're not buying anything it's just you're there to get the news if you feel like you might sure. want to you know that is genius
0: that is genius so Trekland Trunk, you can go to Treklandblog.com. You can go to Con of Wrath, is it Con of dot com? Movie dot com. Sure
2: it sure it is yeah, con of
0: dot com. You can go to Amazon and pre order Star Trek Stellar Cartography, the Starfleet Reference Library. I've gotten that out You're, every time. Yeah, and it's quicker and quicker and, each time I know I haven't stumbled <laughs> once. That's pretty amazing your, for me.
2: Your next <laughs> assignment is to say at least fifty times a day out just to the <laughs> air of <laughs> <air capacity. laughs> I'm just going to randomly
0: up. cold call people <laughs> yeah, and tell them yeah. about it. Now, so pre-order that. Wait for Star Trek Continues. If you haven't watched that yet, go to isitstartrckcontinues dot com. I should have this. Yes, I should it know is. it. Okay. Yes, perfect. So you can
2: watch it on you. You can go to the page and you can watch it on YouTube or Vimeo has a better quality. So Very there you cool. go. Is and there learn anything? To check on Twitter.
0: Okay. Is there anything else I missed in the Larry Trek universe? Oh,
2: probably. Oh okay. my. Well, my Trek land on speaker CDs. There you go. Oh. I you did go miss something. Site. Yep. Perfect, yep. perfect.
0: Well, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and we'll have to obviously do this again. Uh, but thanks for joining us, and thanks, well, thanks for.
2: And I think I actually let you guys talk tonight. No, and, and thanks for telling us
0: all about your new book. We're, stu- we're we're almost at stupor. I you know I got the name of the book out yeah, perfectly, yeah. and then I yeah. couldn't say super. We're super excited you were here to tell us about it. So
2: because you're in a stupor of excitement. Yeah,
0: no fooling. Oh, yes,
1: of excitement. Yes, there we go. Perfect. Uh-huh. There so. You go.
0: But yeah, no, thanks for joining us again.
2: Okay. No, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, Yeah. it was a blast. Okay.
0: So that was episode 25 of Subspace Communiques Life After Trek. We'd like to thank Larry for joining us again and telling us all about his new book, Star Trek Stellar Cartography, the Starfleet Reference Library. And like we said, you guys can order it on Amazon. Pre-order is available now. It'll be hitting shelves December 3rd uh, through bookstores or pre-order from Amazon. You can also check out everything Larry Nemechek at treklandblog.com. You can see his Trekland on speaker, new CD that's come out with lots of interviews and and awesome info. Uh, You can check out Larry and Star Trek Continues, the brand new fan film. Uh, that's uh, everybody's talking about. Everybody's super excited about, and for us, it's probably one of the best fan films we've seen. Super cool! And there's a new episode that they're going to be filming soon, uh, and we're super stoked about that as well.
1: Oh yeah, and check out their Kickstarter page too.
0: Yeah, you can check that out at Kickstarter. dot com. Just do a search for Star Trek Continues. It's funny they're actually calling it a Kirk <laughs> I like that yeah, too. That's pretty, that's good. pretty funny. You can also check out Larry on Twitter at Larry Nimichek and he has Facebook pages uh, if you want to learn more about him. If, if you've been listening to all our shows and you don't know who Larry Nimichek is, you haven't listened hard Shame enough. Shame on you. Yeah, <laughs> that's all on you. <laughs> if you'd like to know more about us, uh, of course, you can go to subspacecommunicate.com. We promise there's going to be more stories coming soon.
1: Right, totally.
0: It's uh, it's not completely dried up. We're still here. <laughs> we promise. Yeah, and we're planning more episodes of uh, Life After Truck as mm-hmm. well. So you can go to subspacecommunique.com. dot com. We're on Twitter at Comms and on Facebook facebook.com dot slash Don't
1: forget a shout out to the
0: robot. Actually, I think it's slash subspace comms. Anyway, you can find it there.
1: <laughs> They're smart.
0: So also, yeah, bye bye robot. You want us to keep doing this stuff? Buy posters. Yay. It's good stuff, Art. too. We have lots of great artists that we work with. And that's what makes subspace communique and life after Trek possible. So if you could go out there and buy some fancy stuff for your digs. Fancy schmancy. So, we'd like to give a shout out to a few podcasts that we love. Of course, Trekcast at trekcast.com, Geek Fights, which Geek Fights is unfortunately starting to wind down. We were on the last episode recorded a couple of days, actually about a week back. I don't know when that's going to air. So we're kind of sad that Geek Fights is going away. Uh, but there's a big catalog. If you guys haven't gotten into them, you, Lot can of listen, good stuff. you can listen to lots of Geek Fights. You can also check out the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Um, Scott and Miles do a fantastic job every week almost or maybe more. I don't know how they do it, but they do, and they've, they've got some great interviews. In fact, they just did Amanda Tapping from Stargate.
1: No kidding, really? Dude, I am totally backlogged.
0: In fact, they just interviewed Amanda Tapping from Stargate. <laughs> strike that reverse it so thanks for joining us uh we love doing this stuff we love interacting with the fans and we dig 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 talking to larry so and everyone else we've interviewed but uh until you guys hear from us again which hopefully will be soon live long and prosper